Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. To our new listeners, welcome. To our old listeners, welcome back. Another episode of Magical Education awaits you. But first, we would like to say a few words. Nitwit, blubber, ottomant, tweak. Podcast nine and three quarters topic of the week is the crimes of the crimes of Grindelwald. Hey there, listeners. It's me, Jem. And I'm Rhea. And this week we're talking about Fantastic Beasts and the Crimes of Grindelwald, or whatever the movie's called. I forgot the title. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever happened in that movie. (laughs) I think it's just Fantastic Beasts and the Crimes of Grindelwald. Oh no, it's Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find... Whatever. I didn't look up the title. (laughs) This is going to be a well-researched episode. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, like, we're just going to do this episode just to have a little talk amongst ourselves about... What we thought, uh, yep. what what that was. <laughs> uh, let's start in the most obvious place. Did you like the movie? No, I really didn't. <laughs> I mean, there are some things I liked, but for the most part, in the terms of like, do I enjoy this? It was a solid no. It's like, no, it wasn't enjoyable for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen it twice now. <laughs> first time just for my own viewing pleasure and the second time for you guys so the first time i watched it all i can remember is walking out of the cinema so angry (laughs) like i was so mad because of that final reveal oh by the way spoilers this is a spoiler episode so many spoilers Guys, you should have figured this out from the title already, but we're going to be talking about this movie. So if you haven't seen it by now, it's been like a month or so, but if you haven't seen it by now, just don't listen, okay? Because we're not going to be holding anything back. (laughs) Yeah. So that, at the end, when it's like, oh, you're a Dumbledore, that made me so angry. (laughs) I just walked out of the cinema and I couldn't think of anything. Yeah, I literally, I tweeted about this, but when the credits started rolling, I just said, what the fuck? out loud and because i went to a session that was like after work for me so it was like a late session there's only like a few people in the Mm -hmm. cinema including myself and there's a couple behind me and they just sort of snorted oh i was in a cinema full of people that were making me mad because they kept being like like gasping and being like oh wow (laughs) at things that were just terrible (laughs) but yeah okay so i saw it twice so i calmed down I went back into the cinema, this time with a note, a notebook, so I could write notes on the movie for this podcast episode. But you did research. Yeah, I did. I've got a notebook full of illegible scribbling because I was trying to write in the dark. Yeah, fair, fair. And on a second watch, I I realised there's a lot that I really do like, and there's a lot that just I hate, makes me furious. It's about half and half for me. Yeah. It's like, 
in terms of like my enjoyment level, considering it's a Harry Potter movie, I think it was a huge disappointment. And so, mm-hmm. um, for me, I'm still on the fence. I'm still sitting on the other side of the fence, saying, "Look, I just don't like this movie. I don't think it did everything it could have done, and I think it was a, a bit of a flop, a, a lot of a flop." Yeah. Um, because okay, so I'm just gonna say something. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I've talked to a lot of people about this movie. People I'm related to personally. People that I just know on the internet as strangers, basically. And I've asked mm-hmm. everyone, like, I've sort of expressed my opinion, like, oh. I didn't like the movie that much, but what do you think? What did you like about the movie? And every time I yes. get the same, the same responses, like verbatim, I liked the beasts. The beasts were fantastic. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. And they're like, I liked the magic. Yep. The magic looked amazing. I'm like, yep, I agree. And then that's what I get. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, guys, <laughs> that's great. I agree with you there. I already said the things I liked, beasts and magic, fantastic. But what about the actual story? What about the plot? What did you like about it? And they're like, oh, I'd have to rewatch it again, or I'd have to think about it a bit more <laughs> to know what I actually liked about <laughs> the juicy part of the movie. <laughs> so that's code for nothing, because I can't even remember. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's a huge problem. Like, I think that's something that we have to over, like, really think about, because this happens a lot when you're going in to see a movie, and you can get it blown away with the whole... Uh, visuals of it the special effects which props to the animation and special effects mm. department in this movie they did a fantastic job it was great but yeah, we need did. to actually think deeper about what we're consuming and think is this something that i actually enjoy on a story-based character-based level <laughs> especially with a movie like this series of films that is so tied into harry mm. potter there's such a nostalgia factor mm-hmm. like god that first opening shot of Hogwarts Castle sitting there and the music swells and I'm like actually teared up (laughs) like oh it's happening again Hogwarts (sighs) the fact that this movie can tug on those heartstrings doesn't mean that it's actually good Mm. you know what else has a nostalgia factor but isn't actually a great series of movies the Star Wars prequels (laughs) you know they had interesting that's true and lots of visuals that were um, for the time very interesting and, and enjoyable they hit the nostalgia parts, but mm. they weren't well-written, well-constructed stories. <laughs> and the characters were a yeah. bit annoying at times. So that's what I sort of felt mm. like I was watching when I saw a lot of the reactions from people seeing these movies. Um, it was sort of the reactions yeah. people were having after see, seeing things like, um, I forget the names of Star Wars prequels. One of them is like Clone Wars, right? <laughs> what are the, what's the first one? <laughs> yeah, one of them is the Clone Wars. Menace. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I could have bailed you out there, but I chose not to. <laughs> Phantom Menace, Clone Wars, and Revenge of the Sith. Okay, I got there in the end. All right, so you're saying that, yeah, the world is very good, which I agree. There's mm-hmm. so much in the movie, just the world and the aesthetic, like that living statue that goes into oh, the beautiful. street in France. It's like Diagon Alley. Oh, that was so good. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. But the characters and the plot is where we're having problems. Mm, which is frustrating because that's an important part of storytelling. <laughs> a really important part. Yeah. You know what else has great, like, world and animation? Avatar. As in, like, the James Cameron Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> but can you name one yeah. character from that Avatar movie? Avatar the Siri. <laughs> um, I think I can. No. <laughs> I can, but only because I actually researched it. Jake Scully, the main character. <laughs> Jake Scully. Oh, I was like... Like the guy from Monsters, Inc. What's his name? <laughs> Mike Wazowski. 
Oh, man. Yeah. Um, okay, so one thing I will say is that I had this under a list of what did I enjoy. Newt. Mm-hmm. It's, I think that they kept Newt's character pretty yeah. stable and strong from what he was established in, in the first movie. They didn't change him too much or make him more archetypal, as we've discussed in an earlier episode. Um, so I liked mm-hmm. that they kept Newt pretty solid, and um, they built in all that stuff with Newt and Tina, which was cute romantic stuff in there. So that was that was nice. I enjoyed that. But the rest. <laughs> Is that your entire list of things you enjoyed? Creatures, magic, and Newt? Okay, I'll read out the list. What was good? Beasts? Baby Nifflers, Zawu, Kelpie. Mm-hmm. Zawu was the cat thing. That I will say... When I was watching the movie, that was the only time I actually smiled. It was when Newt pulled out the little like trinket and t- and like shook it and it made a bell sound, and the Zowie was like a little kitten. Yeah, I was like, oh. <laughs> but okay. Uh, so, I love her. She does really big jumps. She's great. She's so good. Um. So yeah, what was good? Beasts, magic, score by James Newton Howard. Excellent music, and Newt, yep. and that's it. <laughs> that's it. Okay. okay. Wow. Uh, you didn't like Lita? I liked Lita, but I think what they did to her was an injustice. <laughs> so that, oh, det- yeah. that detracts <laughs> from my putting her on the list because it's like, what a waste of a character. Um, yeah. I will say, I should add to the list, Jude Law as Dumbledore. Excellent choice. Um, did a great portrayal. <laughs> excellent physique. Excellent face. <laughs> <laughs> it's Jude Law. Um, I'll just give him points for his face. <laughs> I'm reaching, Ria. I'm really Actually, trying. no. I want to take points away from Depp for his face. So, yes, he can give points to Jude Law for his face. Okay, and that's my list. Fair. <laughs> that's it. That's my list. Okay. <laughs> wow. All right. So, I realized when I was watching it that in terms of characters, I kind of love all the new characters or at least find them interesting. Mm-hmm. So, like, Newt, Tina, Jacob, Queenie. Credence, Theseus, Lita. I really like those people. I'm really interested in their stories. Mm-hmm. Everything to do with Dumbledore and Grindelwald just makes me so tired and sad and angry. I just oh. don't want to see it. Like, just yeah. get it away from me. I have a lot to say about that. Why is it that we can't just have... Dumbledore was in love with Grindelwald and shared a very close connection to Grindelwald in the past, and that's why he can't go against him now. No. Let's not have that. Let's not have that high stakes emotional angst in there. Let's have a blood pact and create this whole new different type of <laughs> magic. That, that's why, that's the reason that Dumbledore can't go against Grindelwald, which doesn't make sense because Dumbledore and Grindelwald had that duel which killed Ariana years ago. So how could they fight against each other if they'd already made a blood pact? But whatever. <sighs> Let's just add that in there. It's some Good bullshit. Call. <laughs> I actually forgot about the duel with Ariana. You're right. That should have been impossible. Exactly. I don't, I don't assume pact. that they made the blood pact after the whole Ariana incident because they were estranged from each other. That's not. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Oh, wow. <laughs> You've reminded me that I'm angry again. Yeah, the blood pact, kind of infuriating. Mm. Because like, like you it. said, instead of, having, instead of having the characters motivated by emotion, instead it's like, Dumb magic bullshit instead. Yeah, it's dumb. Nothing complicated. What made me so angry about the Blood Pact is that it is very obviously just plot convenience. Like, duh. Mm -hmm. But what it is, it's a stupid, weak version of an unbreakable vow. It is. (laughs) So, So, if Grindelwald and Dumbledore were not characters in a movie, if they were real people living in the real magical world and they wanted to make a pact that they never fought each other... Mm -hmm. 
they would make an unbreakable veil yeah. because that's what wizards do. Mm-hmm. Unbreakable vows were actually referenced in this movie, so we know that they exist. <laughs> it reminds us that they exist. <laughs> but no, because they can't make an unbreakable vow because they're still going to fight. That's how this series is going to end. Yeah. They're going to have a big battle. So because we can't have them do that unbreakable vow, which is what they should logically be doing, we're going to make up this blood pact thing yeah. so that Dumbledore can destroy it so that they can fight each other. It's like, yeah. It's just, it, I hate it. It's like the writers were like, okay, option A, Dumbledore and Grindelwald had a romantic past that was complicated and we explore those emotions. And then, and then like the producers are sitting there eyeing them down. They're like, okay, and they just throw it off the wall. Option B, unbreakable vow. The producers narrow their eyes further. All right. <laughs> How about a blood pact? Producers are like, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> this is a hit. Uh, and we'll put the blood in a trinket that looks like the Deathly Hallows symbol. What? <laughs> Crazy. What? Amazing. Much, much, much. 10 much. out of 10. Best movie of the year. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, because I've seen it twice now, I didn't realize this until a rewatch, but it actually teases you yes. because the movie sets up. Every time someone asks Dumbledore to fight Grindelwald, he says, I can't. Mm. And it sets it up as if the reason he can't fight Grindelwald is because of the emotions that he feels towards Grindelwald. Mm-hmm. That's why they have that weird scene where the aura shows him like a video of him and Grindelwald yeah. looking at each what other. <laughs> and when he goes to the Mirror of Erised, which shouldn't be there, by the way, yeah. another plot hole, the Mirror of Erised was never stored at Hogwarts. It was brought in specifically for the Philosopher's Stone trap. What the fuck ever. <laughs> so he looks into the Mirror of Erised that should definitely not be in the school <laughs> and sees himself in Grindelwald, which... He shouldn't, because he should see his sister. <laughs> Sorry, I keep getting distracted because I'm angry. Okay, the movie sets it up, sets us, the audience, up to think that they can't fight because Dumbledore has feelings towards Grindelwald that are unresolved. And then at the end, the twist is, no, he's just bound by some kind of magic that he has to break out of. That's dumb. I hate it. I know. Like... I just want to say about the Mirror of Erised thing, I hate how they got um, the young actor to play Grindelwald again. His name's Jamie Campbell, something like that. Maybe I'm thinking of Soup. It's the same guy? Yeah, Jamie Bowen, the guy from the, the original uh, seven movie, eight movies, um, who, yeah, who I thought yeah, that was portrayed Grindelwald briefly, but they animated him <laughs> so that he has white hair and mismatched eyes so that he matches the sort of Johnny Depp Grindelwald image they're trying to portray in the Fantastic Beast movies. And I'm like, why? <laughs> it looks... <laughs> no one looks like that he looks like an anime character <laughs> oh my god okay at the very least what we can take from that is that Grindelwald didn't do some kind of Voldemort bullshit where he started out looking handsome and normal and then twisted his soul through dark magic and became a gross multicolored ghost Marilyn Manson fucking guy <laughs> He always looked like that, according to the new canon of these films. Ever since he was a teenager, he's looked like that. <laughs> and they just want us to believe that this is someone that people would be influenced by and want to know more about, rather than being like, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, that's something that I really liked in this movie. I didn't catch it the first time. I think because, because Grindelwald spends the entire first movie in disguise, in my brain, Grindelwald isn't in that movie. I just edit out that Same. whole section. I'm like, no, that was just a different guy. <laughs> that didn't happen. So in this movie, like, they really pushed the idea that, like, you know, he's like a Hannibal Lecter sort of character. Yeah. He's got that silver tongue and he manipulates people. I really like that element of Grindelwald. Yeah. 
if he was played by anyone else, and if he didn't have that stupid face with his dumb eyes, I could actually believe yeah. that and be interested in this character. Exactly. That's a good villain to portray, but the way it was done, like, mm. first of all, I just want to say, on my list of bad things, uh, where is it? Johnny Depp. I don't think he did a, a good job. For all yeah. the shit and flack that Warner Bros. has gotten, and all the controversy this has called, uh, this has caused them, was it worth it? No, I don't think it was. I think any other actor could have done what Johnny Depp did. He didn't bring anything unique or interesting or powerful to that role. I think it was basic. And like, yeah. you know, because obviously the role, it's it's a subtle role and he just sort of like, he didn't pull it off in a way that I thought other actors could have done something more sophisticated and uh, interesting mm. in that role. It, he wouldn't have the same sort of power and presence yeah. as other people could have, I think. So... Not worth it. Obviously, like, we're both incredibly biased <laughs> against Johnny Depp. Like, if you've listened to us at all, even just in this episode, we hate him. I hate him, but I tried um, to be as unbiased but- as I could and just look <laughs> at it as, like, okay, so what do I know about acting and what do I know about watching actors on screen and thinking about, like, could other actors have done this scene better? And I actually tried to think about that and, I'm like, yeah, they could have. <laughs> they could have blocked that better. They could have yeah. delivered that line better. Yeah. Yeah. I just. Even before the whole Depp Amber Heard controversy and when I turned on him, I sort of, I'd grown bored of him as an actor mm. because he just does the same character every, every time. time. To the point at which, like, yeah, his movies, like, you know, him, Tim Burton, Helena Baum Carter, they're just in the same movie every mm-hmm. time. It's over and over mm-hmm. again. And I've just, I grew bored with him, I want to say 10 years yeah. ago. And so when I'm talking to people, call out, mom when i'm talking to mom and oh, she's mom. like oh johnny depp was amazing in this role he really brought so much to it i love what he did and i'm like what what did he do say his line <laughs> did he have an earpiece in his ears so he could remember what his lines were <laughs> yeah someone feeding his lines to him coward anyway we should get off johnny depp because otherwise we'll stay on this yeah. topic for the entire episode Oh, no, the one more thing that I want to say about him. Oh, there was a moment at the beginning of the movie where I was so filled with hope mm-hmm. when they open up that little window and look into his yeah. cell and she's like, oh, we had to remove his yes. tongue. And I'm like, holy shit, are they going to do it? Are we going to get silence, Johnny Depp? Can't <laughs> I speak. Know. Amazing. <laughs> but it was a trick. Yeah. I'm, okay, I need clarification. Because I thought the same as you. I was like, oh, are we just going to get him silent in the background? Because that's good. I don't want to hear a fucking thing he has to say. But anyway. um, Oh, so good. The whole thing with the swap. I'm really confused about the layout of that. Like, Mm. I I, I only saw the movie once. So maybe it's just I need a rewatch to understand it properly. Yeah. But okay, when did the swap happen? Mm -hmm. Because did they cut out his tongue, but they actually cut out the guy who swapped with Grindelwald's tongue? In that case, why didn't Grindelwald escape earlier? Like, I don't get it <laughs> I just... okay so what happened is the guy who was swapped with grindelwald let's call him no tongue joe because i don't remember okay, his yeah. name <laughs> no tongue joe was not originally a member of grindelwald's okay. gang he was a member of the prison staff who got seduced into grindelwald's okay. gang they don't specifically say that but that's what i've extracted <laughs> at some point grindelwald has been like hey come join me i'm the best or whatever and they traded places and started taking Polyjuice Potion of each other or else somehow transformed into each mm-hmm. other. That must have been a significant period okay. of time because the tongue cutting off thing had to happen 
after the swap mm-hmm. because otherwise if she'd gone in there cut off his tongue cut off grindelwald's tongue and then he'd swap with no tongue joe yeah. then when he took the polyjuice potion like grindelwald should have had yeah. no tongue it doesn't make yeah. any sense mm. so they had to swap beforehand and that means it's been i would say at least a day like you don't cut someone's tongue off and then immediately the next day transfer them across because why would you bother to cut his tongue <laughs> it would have had to have been at least days mm. So why has Grindelwald just been fucking hanging around in the prison? I assume he's not there 24-7. Did he go home to No Tongue Joe's house and then go back into work yeah, the next day? The like, I understand, okay, maybe he wanted to wait for that chariot to take him to Britain because the chariot was going to come and pick him up to take him to the British ministry. But, like, couldn't he just go through less official yeah. means? Like, let, let the decoy go to Britain and halfway there he turns into some random guy and they're like, shit. And then they're on a manhunt for him, but by then he's already in fucking Bahamas mm-hmm. or whatever he wants to go. Because <laughs> he's gone. <laughs> yeah. It's, look, Grindelwald doesn't have good plans. <laughs> he doesn't. Which is weird, because he's meant to be like a genius. Yeah, his plans are bad. But that opening scene with the switch and that cool carriage chase, I loved it. That was really, yeah, it was a great was a good scene. scene. Very exciting. Yeah. So I'm not... I'm not that mad. I'm willing to let it go. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I was just confused about the semantics. I, was, I think I just missed something in the dialogue or something like that. So I was like, how did that work? But yeah, I'm fine with that scene overall. I, oh, one thing that I really liked there is I like that it showed that Grindelwald bonded with that little snappy mm. toad creature thing that was mm-hmm. in his cell. And it was all snuggling up to him and loving him. And then he just flings yeah. it out of the carriage and it presumably yes. dies. I really liked that contrast between mm-hmm. him and Very you. Good. Like, that's just a really great way to show the two yeah. characters. Grindelwald just uses them and new- actually nurtures them and respects them. Cool. Mm-hmm. It's also how Grindelwald treats his followers. He seduces them, gets them to do things for him, and then he throws them yeah. aside. Well, on the topic of seduction, <laughs> do we want to get into the thing that made me more angry than anything Go. about this movie? Which is the problems it has with consent. Oh my god, yes. What the fuck? <laughs> Whoa! Oh, mm. so weird. So, we really need to do an entire episode on love potions and the horrific implications they have. Look for that next year. I think we're going to do that sometime soon. Valentine's Day. Valentine's yeah. Day. It's <laughs> a good one. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, in this movie, let's start at the beginning. So, let's start with Queenie and Jacob. So she, it just says that she's bewitched him. We don't know if it's a love potion specifically or some kind Which of love spell, it, yeah. but it's something that Newt is able mm-hmm. to undo. So I think it's a spell. Rather yeah, I think it's a spell because he does like a finita and cantatum thing and, she, and he comes back from it. That is such a fucked up thing to do to your partner. Like it's, it's unforgivable in my book. Yeah, if someone did least. that to me, I would not only be dumping them, I would be calling the fucking police. <laughs> like no they're not coming near me again yeah especially in that situation the power imbalance that jacob and queenie have jacob has no means to defend himself against queenie's magic or her legitimacy we discussed this before queenie reading everyone's minds Mm. willy-nilly is fucked and really shitty thing to do (laughs) because it's not consensual So I have, like, at the end of my notes section, a little list of things that we predicted correctly, not specifically, like, when we were trying to guess what happened in the movie, but things that we've spoken about which panned (laughs) out in this movie. 
And one of them is that we called Queenie out on her bullshit. <laughs> and we were right. What she's doing is fucked. I know she's a fan fave, guys, but she's... Yeah. I still really like her as a character. I think she's really interesting. But as a person, she's an abuser. What she's doing to Jacob yeah, is abusive. Not... You can see why she feels like a sweet dead. heroine who's like, we love her because she's so beautiful and, and like happy and nice. Like, no, she's an abusive person. She's <laughs> mm-hmm. terrible. Yeah. She's placed herself firmly in villain yeah. category. And I don't think at the end of the movie she did that. At the mm-hmm, beginning definitely. of the movie... Okay, so there's a, there's a connection I want to draw. So the other big problem that I, the other thing in this movie is later on when what's his face is Yusuf. <laughs> I should really name the characters. Yusuf, yes. yes, thank you. When Yusuf is revealing what happened yeah, to his wow. mother and how the Lestrange man improvised her, what the line that he says is. He used the imperious curse to seduce and abduct her. What he means is kidnap and rape her. She was not seduced. She had all of her free will taken away. She was kidnapped. She was raped. She was forcibly impregnated. Mm. And then she died. That is a horrific series of things that happened to this seemingly helpless woman. And what Queenie does is exactly the same. Because she bewitches Jacob. She kidnaps him and transports him to another country. She was going to marry him. They were engaged yeah. without his knowledge. The only reason that it didn't go further was because Newt stepped in. In fact, when Jacob wakes up, the line he says is, when were you going to wake me up when we yeah, had five kids? <laughs> I like got chills watching that entire scene. That's so right. <sighs> like, this has already gotten pretty real. I don't want to make it more real, but like, all previous jokes about living mannequins aside that that's my Mm. worst fear what happened to lita's mother in that movie i can't imagine a worse fate it's the most terrifying thing ever so seeing queenie do basically exactly the same thing it's not different because she's a woman and he's (laughs) a man it's exactly the same she's an abuser what she did to him was horrific and monstrous and you know we can't stand her anymore (laughs) She has to go in the bin. <laughs> yep. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Like, there was so much non-consensual magic used in this movie. Again, like, for people, for very nefarious purpose, purposes. To, like, basically get people to either love you or sleep with you. And it was very fucked. <laughs> like, I knew that, it, definitely for the Lestrange and Yusuf story, that was used as a terrible thing that happened. But for the Queen and Jacob thing, it was kind of brushed off and added yeah. in for laughs a little bit. And I was like, that's not good. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> it was kind of played for laughs. Like, the, when Jacob comes out of it, he's obviously mm. angry and upset. And that's not the first but time that happened, either. He forgives her too easily. Mm. Yeah. There's this whole, you know... You don't need to enchant me. I'm already enchanted. No, no, no. She kidnapped you. (laughs) Yep. I want to talk more about Queenie, if that's okay. Putting aside all this Queenie villainous, horrible thing she did to Jacob, her arc in this movie makes very little sense. (laughs) So um, in terms of like, she's like traumatized by what happened with Jacob. So she flees to Paris to go find Tina. Tina, who's been her constant since childhood, like the sister's. Mm -hmm. Uh, lost their parents very early on, so Tina and Queenie were taking care of each other for God knows how long, but it's assumed a long time. She goes to try and find Tina. She goes to the ministry in France, tries to find her through the official way, and they can't find her. 
and then gives up immediately, basically. She's so upset and traumatized by this that she gives up immediately, gets pulled in by some of Grindelwald's followers, is a bit shocked at first, but then just gets fucking pulled in more and now is turned to the dark side completely by the end of the movie. Why don't you try and find your sister in another way or a few other ways? <laughs> like, do you just give up that easily on your family? <laughs> you're one of your closest yeah. relations, probably your closest relationship. So, <laughs> there's, there's two main things that I want to talk about there. So the first is her, like, panic attack yeah. in the street yeah. when she comes out of the ministry. And the second is her falling uh-huh. for Grindelwald. What happens is when she comes out of the Ministry of Magic, she can't find her sister. She's frustrated. She goes out into the street. And then Newt mm-hmm. and Jacob pass. They sort of pass, but not mm-hmm. immediately near her. They're like several but she streets can sense away. Them. But she yeah. gets a glimpse of their thoughts. And so then she goes running through the streets trying to find them. She's trying to find them not just physically, but with magic as well. So she's opening herself up. And she's getting bombarded by the thoughts of everyone around her on all sides. And she gets overwhelmed and she seems to have some kind of anxiety attack and sits down Mm -hmm. in the street and starts crying. And then the minion of Grindelwald walks up and, you know, comforts her and says, Mm -hmm. you know, can I help you? What that scene seems to imply and how I interpret it the first time is that Queenie is not in control of her powers. It seems like she is getting bombarded by all these thoughts she can't block them out and she can't turn off her powers but we know from our Mm -hmm. research that's not true so when i watched it again keeping in mind that she is in control of what she experiences because she can turn her legitimacy legitimacy Mm -hmm. on and off so yeah the reason why it happens is that she deliberately opens herself up trying to find jacob and then because she's so emotional yeah. She loses control because as we've spoken about, magic is emotion. Magic is emotions, yeah. But then she's sitting there and crying, and then as soon as something distracts her, as soon as that woman walks up and, you know, gets her attention, she blocks everything out again. Like as soon as her focus comes back yeah. to her, it's gone and she's back in control. So that says to me again that she is in control of her powers and she is doing yeah. this deliberately. Just something that I want to continually reestablish. She yes. is in control. And the second thing is, how, how does Grindelwald oh, no. lie to her? How? <laughs> she can read mine. Unless he's like a master oculomance. <laughs> but, but that hasn't been established before, but it could have been a nice throwaway line to put in there. Like a minion's like, are we sure we can trust the legilimens? And he's like, I'm a master oculomance. Easy done. You could have said something like, we'll have to be careful mm. who we expose her to. There is an interesting line early on when they first go into the muggle house and murder the muggles, <laughs> including the baby. Great scene for this movie. That's something I wanted to see. Great. So when that happens, the other guys are talking about like, you know, we're going to kill all the muggles and ex- blah, 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 blah. And Grindelwald says, we don't say such things aloud. And then he talks about how the beast of burden yeah, okay. will always Slaves. be necessary. So he's saying like, yeah, we are yep. going to enslave all the muggles, but yeah. We don't say it in those words. So he's very careful about what he says and how yeah. he presents himself. And that is very, very evident in his yeah. rally at the end of the movie. Everything he says is very carefully chosen and there's nothing overly mm. objectionable. It's all about, you know, how we're so powerful and we have a duty to the world and the muggles are going to start another war and the auras are the ones who are unfairly prosecuting us. He's never anything... He never says anything that makes him sound like Voldemort, basically. 
The only thing that got close was when he's like, um, oh, the people who have been gifted magic are more exceptional than the lesser or something like that. When I was like, yep, that's that's yeah. just plain prejudice. <laughs> yeah. It was something along, along the lines of like, um, because we've been given the gift of magic, we are more exceptional and uh, muggles are just evolutionarily based mm-hmm. worse off and less than us because they can't, they don't have the capacity and the acuity to be as good wizards, so they want gifted magic, basically. Something like that. Yep, sorry, I can't find mm. the exact quote in my scribbled notes. Yeah, but what he's saying is basically they are other from us. They are not lesser, but they are other. They are not worthless, mm. but they have different value, is I think mm-hmm. close to what he actually says. So yeah, he's very careful with these words. You can see how someone like Queenie, who frankly mm. is just not very bright, easily tricked for some yeah. reason. She shouldn't be, but she is. You can see how if if she was taking everything he said at face value and she was blinded by the fact that she loves Jacob and wants to be with him and can't in America, you can see how she would fall for what he's saying. But she is a mind reader. If she can't read his mind, she should be aware of the thoughts of the people around her. At that rally, there must have been people in the crowds who were thinking, mm-hmm. yeah, we're going to rule the muggles. Yeah, they're lesser than us. Like, that must have been going yeah. through the minds of the people in that crowd. And she picked up on none of it? What's wrong with it? Why, don't, why do her powers only exist when they're convenient? Yeah. Her whole motivation is, I want to stay with Jacob. And then she's like, in order to do that, I have to leave Jacob. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> He's right. She is crazy. <laughs> And then, uh, in that final scene at Nuremberg, 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 whatever, Grindelwald's palace, she's just using her powers against Credence. She's just like, oh, I'm not even trying to be subtle about this anymore. Yeah, I read minds and I use the information I glean from people's minds to manipulate them. I'm just, that's what I do now. I'm a villain. (laughs) Basically. In terms of another character I want to mention, uh, I, I brought this up a bit before, Lita. Little Strange Lita. was introduced, yeah. um, played by Zoe Kravitz, I believe. Introduced herself, very interesting, compelling character. I liked how we got a bit of her backstory at Hogwarts, and of course, further back when she moved to um, England mm-hmm. from France. Uh, and like in both scenarios that we were presented with at Hogwarts and at, earlier on, they're not they don't paint Lita in the best light, but they're still very fascinating. Like I still enjoyed her as a character and sympathized with mm. her and like wanted more from her and thought, wow, this is gonna be like I was actually that was the part of the movie that I was yeah. really intrigued in. I'm like, this is gonna be a good character to see develop over the next few movies and then make it look mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. That death came out of nowhere. Like not in terms of character motivations, like in terms of her character. I can see why she would, because she thinks she's such a monster and she's just been confronted with what she did. Her giving her life to try and save the man she loves, who is it? We don't know. That makes sense for her in that moment. But in terms of like a screenwriting perspective, why would you kill off Lita? She's great. Yeah. Why not have her try to do that? Like try to sacrifice herself, but then something stops at the last second. She gets pushed aside, injured or something like that. Yeah. Try to give her life, but someone saves her. I agree that, like, I loved Lita. I found her backstory so compelling, like, that she did this monstrous thing without meaning to and without being conscious of the consequences of her actions because she was a child and has spent her entire life feeling guilty over that and thinking that she's a monster. And then her connection with Newt, who never met a monster that he couldn't love. Oh, great. Such a great relationship. 
great dynamic. Yeah, I'm so interested in her, Newt, Theseus, and what happens between the three of them, which is what was sort of teased in the first movie and we were supposed to get in this movie, but it didn't really... Like, we don't know what happened between the three of them. How did Newt get expelled from Hogwarts? How did Theseus and Lita fall in love? I want to know more about what happened between the three of them. I'm hoping we will get more in the next movies, even though she's dead, I guess. Yeah, it'll be through flashbacks, which aren't as effective as it could have been if they just kept Lita alive. (laughs) But I guess with flashbacks, they can keep using the Hogwarts set and getting those nostalgia points. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, just quickly, while we're on the subject of flashbacks. So, the McGonagall problem. Here we go. All right. (laughs) I'm familiar. You familiar with this? fuck that. Yeah. McGonagall is not alive in these movies. She's not. (laughs) I've read, like, long... Long theories about how maybe McGonagall was born in the 1800s, and so feasibly she could have been a young teacher at Hogwarts during the time these movies were set. And it's a stretch. It's a real stretch. And it's spreading it thin. And I think they're relying on the description of McGonagall as presented to us in the movies. And they're forgetting that in the books, McGonagall is black-haired and youngish. She's not like, uh, she's not young. She's probably in her, like, 50s. Yeah. She's middle-aged, but she's not yeah. an elderly Which is, woman. It's fine like to put Maggie movies. Smith in that role in the movies because she did a great job and the movies are an interpretation. But Maggie in the Smith. books, we're forgetting that she's actually not yeah. that age and people are forgetting that. And I also just want to say, what's the point of putting McGonagall in those mm. movies if they're not even going to portray her in a way that's accurate to her character? McGonagall, who in the movie canon, said in, book, in movie four and book four, yeah. we do not use magic to discipline students in in the back in the fucking flashback with little strange running away uses a spell to silence a student <laughs> yeah not worth it yeah so yeah i don't know what theories people have come up with to explain that mcgonagall thing but the answer is so simple it's mm-hmm. because they fucked with mm-hmm. dumbledore's timeline that's why so dumbledore is the defense against the yeah. dark arts teacher in those movies he's a transfiguration professor. he shouldn't be he's not he was the transfiguration they just professor. said oh <laughs> they just said oh he was uh, so what happened uh, he <laughs> went back and forth between defense against the dark arts and transfiguration like no he didn't <laughs> he didn't <laughs> that did not happen fuck off no he didn't he didn't you he was always dying. the transfiguration professor <laughs> you can see in <laughs> A bunch of things that he does as headmaster of Hogwarts that his discipline is transfiguration. He's always fucking conjuring things and transfiguring things, and that's that's his specialty. That's what he does. Even in that Voldemort in the fifth movie, he's transfiguring the statues and stuff like that. Like that's how he fights as well. Because he is a transfiguration guy. But because the class that we, the viewers, have the most emotional connection Mm. to is Defense Against the Dark Arts. And because they wanted to have yeah. that Bogart scene with Dumbledore, they made Dumbledore the Defense Against the Dark Arts professor. And then they're like, oh, well, that frees up the transfiguration job, so let's have McGonagall in there for Dumb, extra I hate it. I just want to say, they could, have sa- they could have saved themselves if they so, really wanted to have that scene with Jude Law and young Newt with the Bogart and all that sort of stuff. They really wanted to have that. They could just have Dumbledore walking in saying, oh, Professor such and such is sick today, so I'll be taking over. Because we know that happens. We know that when Lupin's sick, Snape takes over. So we could just have, oh, for this lesson, Dumbledore was subbing, but he's the Transfiguration Mm. Professor. Problem fucking solved. Or, or, (laughs) here's another great idea. 
because Newt's specialty is creatures, and they establish that he has a little hidey hole yeah. full of creatures. What if there was a Bogart in there? What if he was like, I'm trying to form yeah. an emotional attachment to this mm-hmm. Bogart, because that's what I do, but I'm struggling because it keeps turning into my greatest fear. He goes to Dumbledore, who's his confidant and mentor, to try and get him to help, and somehow Lita gets involved, and that's how you get the scene with her and the veil and blah, blah, blah. They walk in and they both walk in and, and Lita's there and she's confronted the Bogart like by accident and they help her out. <laughs> That's what happens. Done. Yeah. And she's been and she's been forced to face her greatest fear and she's been traumatized and Newt's like, oh no, blah blah blah. You could do something really interesting there without having to have that stupid <laughs> classroom scene. I'm <laughs> there are ways to do this where you don't have to fuck with canon and it bothers me because it's cheap and lazy the way that it's done in the movies. It's trying to appeal to those <sighs> senses of nostalgia that people have, but it's it, it's forgetting the fact that Harry Potter fans mean serious mm-hmm. business. They know the stories. They know the texts. You can't just throw these things in there <laughs> and not expect them to be like, hold on, that's not right. Like It's like fucking Leia saying, I remember my mother. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it's like. And all the fans are like, she doesn't remember her mother because... <laughs> We're still mad about that years later. <laughs> exactly. This is what they've done, but they've done it like six times in this fucking movie alone. So they've shot themselves in the foot mm. and now they're hobbling. <laughs> what I want to make a point of is mm-hmm. good and bad callbacks. So that Bogart scene where Dumbledore's doing the scene yeah. just mm-hmm. like Lupin and Harry did in the third movie, that's a bad callback because it's it's just... It's fan service, but it's fan service done badly. A really good callback, something that I loved, is the scene where you first see Newt, Leader, and Theseus, which, by the way, is shot excellently. Just a quick cinematography thing. Loved all those close-ups. Excellent. It is. It's great cinematography. So a really small detail in that scene yeah. is that the Ministry of Magic is full of yeah. owls. There are owls everywhere, swooping around, and there are also house elves yeah. everywhere, cleaning the owl shit off the windows. That is a callback to something that Arthur Weasley says in the fifth book when Harry notices the paper plane memos flying around and he says that's how we send messages between departments. We used to use owls, but the mess was unbelievable. That's amazing. They showed it in the movie. He says that in the movie as well. Yeah. So that's established in the movie canon. Yeah. So they, yeah, that's a great callback. So when I saw that, I was like, oh my god, ah, it's the owls, just like in how the story goes. <laughs> that is a great callback. That's a great way to do fan service. Yeah. So I, I just want to make the point that like you can do these things well. We're not angry just because they're showing things that have been referenced in previous movies. No, yeah, I'm fine with that. We're angry because they're doing them poorly. <laughs> One other thing I want to bring up, just a, a little side note. So I talked about how p- casting Johnny Depp for this role when he didn't perform very well was kind of a waste of time. I want to also talk about uh, Nagini. So the whole blow up with Nagini and the controversy yeah. about that, was it worth it? Yes. I, I was looking at her character throughout the movie and honestly, why did it need to be Nagini? <laughs> it's not relevant. Like she could have just been- She does nothing. She does nothing. Like, like obviously credit to Claudia Kim, great job in the acting, but like- the character does nothing. She gets given no important lines, very little important action. Mm-hmm. She's just sort of standing there for credence to look at. <laughs> it's, very, it's not very useful. Yeah. She's there to give credence someone to talk to, and they don't even talk. 
No, I know. Just it could have been anyone. It could have been like a new character that's just another circus freak. Doesn't need to be Nagini <laughs> and fuck with that timeline and cause so much controversy about culture and mm-hmm. casting. Just oh, why? <laughs> yeah. In this movie, in this movie, I felt that it like it really wasn't worth it. But I'm I'm holding out hope that she is going to have some kind of character mm-hmm. arc in the next movies. Like it is going somewhere. I don't expect it to be good, but I'm hoping it will at least do some kind of justice to that character because she's been treated so badly. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, fair enough. Like, there are more movies to come, but I have more questions about that. How many more movies are there to come? Because this movie didn't do as well as they expected and they might just cut it off at three. Yeah. (laughs) They won't. Mm. Harry Potter makes too much money. Anyway, on the topic of Nagini, I think I would have been... I would have been much less angry yeah. about it if they hadn't revealed it before the movie. Like, if that had happened in the movie, and the first I heard of it was when Credence was talking to her and she's like, Nagini, blah, exactly. blah, blah. I'm like, holy fuck, did you just call her Nagini? Then she goes out and the circus performer yeah. is saying all this creepy shit about her body. Look at her, she's so beautiful she's and so desirable, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole CD circus. Story, like, but, you know, deliberately so. And then every night when she sleeps, she's forced to become, and then she turns yeah, into exactly. a snake. That would have blown my fucking mind. It would have been great, but they, they shot themselves in the foot. Sorry, I'm just frustrated at the marketing of the movie yeah. that they decided to reveal that beforehand. Like, because it made everyone really mad. And they confirmed in the movie as well that she's from the jungles of Indonesia or something, right? So, again, the issue comes up why they cast the Korean woman for this role. It just, it smacks of, like, all Asian people are the same, blah, blah, blah. There's other racist issues there. But we've spoken about that before. Yeah, it's bad. I want to talk about some more things that I like. Well, there's a bunch of, like, little things that I want to talk about. But while we're talking about characters, there's two that I really like that we haven't spoken much about. First of all, Theseus, Mm -hmm. his brother. I was expecting to hate him. I was really expecting him to be the asshole big brother who doesn't understand his little brother at all, and they're always at odds and blah, blah, blah. And there's a bit of that, but honestly, they did him so much better than I was expecting. Yeah, I really like, enjoyed him too. I thought he was um, a solid character. Yeah. I really like how it's established that Newt doesn't like eye contact, doesn't like people in his personal space. And he's like, oh, my brother's a hugger. And obviously there's some tension there. The first time that Newt and Theseus are there together and Theseus is like, oh, here you go. You know, we're going to have a hug, throws out his arms and walks towards Newt. I was like, oh God, here it is. You know, he doesn't understand Newt. He's trying to force himself into Newt's personal space. It's awkward and awful. But then he wraps yeah. him up in that hug and whispers in his ear, they're watching you. Yeah, he's and doing you're like, oh good. no, he's good. Yeah, <laughs> That was great. He's not just... He's doing it very deliberately yeah. and with a purpose, not just because he doesn't understand his brother. And then the second time they hug is right after, yeah, after Leda's died and Newt initiates the hug to comfort his brother. So I really mm. loved it. The dynamic played out differently to how I was expecting. Yeah. yeah. I really good, loved their good interaction. Good That was great. <laughs> I'm brought back to like the fact that, yeah, I love all these new characters. <laughs> I just don't like Dumbledore and Grindelwald. I don't want to hear their stories. I love a lot of the characters. I wish they were in a different movie. <laughs> basically, I wish I could explore the stories in a way that wasn't shit. Basically, yeah, is what I'm saying. <laughs> and the other character that I really love is Bunty. Yes, what a cutie! The woman that is working with Newt to look after his animals. How good is she? 
<laughs> that scene where Newt has to dive in and help the Kelpie. Oh, by the way, I love that Kelpie. Oh, I love it. So good. Yeah. Seahorse, but he's made of actual kelp. Mm. Oh, so good. Great character design. Creature design. Yeah. But Newt's about to jump in the water and she's like, maybe you should take off your shirt. Yes, girl. Get it. She knows what's up. <laughs> she can see that jawline. She knows what Eddie Redmayne's made of. <laughs> I like I like her as a friend. I I can see why she's romantically interested in him and I like their dynamic. I'm hoping that she doesn't become, you know, that sad awkward character like Molly and Sherlock BBC. I'm hoping that they end up more as a friend type thing. Yeah, Molly and Sherlock BBC. I'm hoping that's not who Bunty is. But I like her connection to the creatures. I like that she's working with Newt. I hope that we see them interacting more in the movies and that they get closer and that she's more of a friend because I just love her. I think she's great. All right. What else did you want to talk about? Well, I've just got like a bunch of little things that I want to mention that are things that either I liked or that didn't make sense. Yeah. So I want to talk about the creatures a little bit, Mm. but we've pretty much spoken about all of the creatures. Oh, I really loved the spooky cat familiars. Those black ghost cats with the blue eyes. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, they're so good. They're actually from French mythology, I think. I did a little look on them. Yeah, that's cool. Excellent. I will say, like, I I said this from the beginning, best parts of the movie were the special effects and the magic and the creature design. Props to everyone who was involved in those animations because they were on point and perfect. And um, the augury, which you only see really, really briefly in Newt's basement the augury is the big bird (laughs) thing that jacob's like yeah you know i got my own problems buddy and walks away but for those who don't know an augury is a bird that predicts when it's going to rain with its song so i just like that it started pouring rain down on jacob and queenie's conversation and then you go inside and the augury is flying around that was just a neat little again that's the kind of thing that i really like that's subtle it requires you to sort of know a bit about harry potter but if you do you get it and it's good yeah. I also liked that um, the augury was presented in such a way which is a bit comedic. It was there for a comedic moment, which is funny to me, because if you've read The Cursed Child, like I have, Delphine, Voldemort's daughter, presents her persona as the augury, as like this majestic feared bird and all this sort of stuff. And so, <laughs> yeah, the augury was shown in these movies as like a bit of a laugh and a funny little side character. I was like, yeah, suck it, Delphine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That makes it even better. <laughs> and the only other creature that we haven't mentioned that I loved was the baby nifflers. Baby nifflers. Baby nifflers. I want ten. I seriously do. <laughs> they destroy houses. Good. <laughs> yeah, I like that the first thing we see them do oh, yeah. is destroying Newt's house, because that's exactly what Hagrid yeah. said. You can't keep nifflers as pets. They destroy your house, because they tear it apart looking for shiny shit. Yeah. The Niffler that Newt has is a bit of a special exception because he's obviously trained it a bit to go fetch things for him. But those baby Nifflers are just little rascals. They'll just get anywhere. <laughs> Sneaky little bastards. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the best things are the creatures and the magic, right? So one magic thing that I really loved was what I'm calling the Billy Ray Sanquin power. Do you know Skullduggery Pleasant? Yes, I read it, but I, I read it a long time ago, so you'll have to re-enlighten me. <laughs> so there's a character in Skullduggery Pleasant named Billy Ray Sanguine, and he has the power to walk through walls. And when I saw that wizard guy do that walking through walls scene, I'm just like, oh, he's an assassin, just (laughs) like Billy Ray. And it turns out I was right. I love that. 
The other thing mm. that I really liked about the scene with the Wall Walker and Credence and Nagini is yeah. how it really mm. demonstrated that Credence has gotten control of his powers. He does his whole usual, you know, exploding into darkness thing and chucking everything he has at that guy. Which, by the way, if that guy can just wrap himself up in a Protego spell and be perfectly safe from Credence, like, how's Credence going to get Dumbledore? If Obscurus is supposed to be the huge threat that they're presented to be in the first movie, then, like, how can you just ward them off for the Protego charm? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, if a Protego charm and then apparating away yeah. isn't good enough to save you, then Credence isn't a threat anymore. Whatever. Mm. But he exploded mm. that entire apartment and tore up the walls and threw it all at that guy. Yeah. And I like that because, first of all, he didn't harm Nagini. Yeah. He didn't harm the dead body of the woman that he was there to see. Yeah. And he destroyed the walls, which is how that guy was able to sneak up mm. on him. So that shows that he was completely aware, completely in control. Yeah. It was just a very really different credence that we saw at the end of the last movie, which is great. It didn't have to be explained to us. We just saw it. Oh, okay. And while we're on the topic of the Obscurus, there's this weird thing in this movie that I don't understand where Dumbledore says it first, but then that Yusuf Karma guy confirms it. The Obscurus has a dark twin. What does that mean? Maybe they're talking about the fact that, like, the Obscurus is the host and the dark twin is the dark power in them, maybe? That seems to make the most sense, but no, they're definitely talking about a sibling. So when Dumbledore and Newt are meeting up at the bus right at the beginning, where they're trying to have a conversation but also running away from the ministry and they jump all over the city, they stop in a bus and Dumbledore says, an Obscurus that survives will always have a dark twin or a dark sibling. So Credence is trying to search for his brother and we need to find Credence before his brother finds him because his brother is going to kill him. And then that sets you up to think that Yusuf is his brother. And then it also sets you up to think that maybe Lita is his sister and blah, blah, blah. All that whole storyline is really convoluted and stupid. And then right at the end, this leads into, well, actually, Dumbledore is Credence's (sighs) brother. Which I'll leave you to talk about that. I don't so, know. What what the fuck does no that mean? I have no fucking idea. I think they're just what making does it mean? Shit up it doesn't make point. any sense. Like they clearly are because I think they're just doing that to make the whole convoluted brother sister family lineage plot seem like believable in the movie when you're watching it. But then when that's not all confirmed, it's like oh that the ending gives a new meaning to it. But I think literally mm-hmm. they're just throwing in lines like that to make people think there's deeper meaning to it but i have no fucking idea <laughs> like, how does that work how does that work that a child whose magic has been oppressed within them <laughs> so that so much so okay. that it causes a powerful surge and burst of magic whenever they try and they get too emotional how does that work that if they survive that experience and go into teenagedom that they somehow get a dark sibling somewhere else in the world yeah. what the fuck's that mean but how does that magic work <laughs> It's their literal sibling, like their literal flesh and blood sibling from the same parents. What if you don't have a sibling? What if you're an only child? (laughs) What the fuck does that mean? (laughs) It's just dumb. What does that have to do with being an obscurus? (laughs) It doesn't mean anything. So that's just a line in the movie that doesn't, I don't know what it means and it's frustrating me. Maybe it will mean something in later movies, maybe it doesn't. It's frustrating talking about these movies and we don't have the entire series. (sighs) And the only other thing that I want to talk about is things that we have predicted correctly. I'm still using my angry voice, but I'm not angry anymore. So we predicted that Queenie was using her powers badly and would end up going bad. Check. Done. 
also in our episode, I think about what subjects can you take at Hogwarts, we talked about yeah. how fucked it is that you make the entire class view their own bogarts. Mm. You force the children to reveal their greatest fears in yeah. front of all their peers. What if you have yeah. a traumatized child in that class? That played out exactly as we said. Yeah. Um, talking about magic leaves traces, we saw that happen here when Newt ran around the street in Paris and threw that gold powder everywhere. He was able to yeah. lick the dirt awesome. and use that little horn thing to hear what had happened. That was really cool. I love that. He could play out the past because magic always leaves traces. Really like that scene. The only other thing is that Oh, brace yourself, this is Here really bad. <laughs> One of the characters in this movie is a half-elf, and she's also a servant. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is confirmation that wizards fuck their house-elves. Ta-da! I hate it. And the house-elves can get pregnant Thanks, I hate it. with half-human, <laughs> half-elf babies. Boo! Boo! Oh. <laughs> Boo! It's awful, and I hate it. Why did they have to do that? Why did they have to do it's like terrible. That? Why did they just have a servant woman, like a fucking witch or a squib or something? It doesn't have to be a fucking half-elf, half-human hybrid. Just, oh my god. <laughs> she yeah. could have been a human. She could have been a house-elf. She could have been a goblin. It, she could have been anything. Why? Why? <laughs> Why is she a house-elf? Why? And I, I wish I never saw that. And that's that's the end of my thoughts for this movie. <laughs> okay, I want to share a thought with you. So let me paint you a little word picture. All right, so I went to see this movie at a late night session, as I mentioned All before, right. after work. I got home. I was mm -hmm. I was confused, surprised, a little bit annoyed. Yep. I went to bed, sleeping on it. I think I think I slept on it. I really I thought about it. I mulled over my head. I had a weird dream, and I woke up the next yep. morning and I went. Hang on. I opened my Google on my phone and I searched name <laughs> okay. meaning Ariana. It came up very holy. Then I searched name meaning Aurelius and it came up golden, gilded, but it's also a name given to early saints. And I was like, fuck, hell, I hate this. <laughs> so my theory is that Aurelius is Ariana. Grindelwald, right. after the duel ended and Ariana was destroyed, I say destroyed purposefully, Grindelwald captured some of the obscurial energy from when Ariana was destroyed and somehow it ended up in Credence. Uh -huh. So the obscurial energy that Credence holds within him once belonged to Ariana. And so when Grindelwald says, it's time to go meet your brother, he means literally Ariana and Aurelius's brother, Dumbledore. He's not lying to him. My initial thought when I saw this movie was that Grindelwald's just lying to Aurelius and saying, sorry, not Aurelius, Credence, and saying, oh, yeah, let's go get your brother, but it's all just a dupe for Grindelwald's own ends. Yeah. But then I thought about it, I'm like, hold on, JK, for all she is, she wouldn't do us like that. If she's going to give us a, a huge reveal like that mm -hmm. at the end, she's not going to be JK trolling. She's going to want us to think about it for a long time and then come up with a huge convoluted answer for it in the next few movies. It's not just going to be a joke. <laughs> uh, and the whole Phoenix thing as well was weird. So right. that had to mean that there was some sort of Dumbledore in him. So yeah. with this theory... <laughs> The whole uh, obscurial ending up in Credence thing, I don't know how that works, but somehow I know Grindelwald had this obscurial, this piece of obscurial. Maybe he lost it, maybe he released it in New York or something like that, or somehow lost track of it, and he knew that it was in America or New York. And that's why he was trying to find the obscurial there, because he's like, I want to find this particular obscurial, because I know it can take down mm -hmm. Dumbledore, because it'll have more 
personal stake in it if I manipulate it in such a way. And that's why he thought it was in the little girl rather than in Credence, because he would assume that the obscure would go to mm -hmm. a form that it was familiar with. Ariana died when she was very young, but it turns out it was in Credence. Um, I hate this theory. Uh, I hate it because it's mm -hmm. so, it cheapens the death of Ariana right. and the whole duel and the battle that occurred between Grindelwald and Dumbledore and the fact that Dumbledore neglected to pay attention to his family and then paid for it with the guilt of losing his sister. It cheapens that because then it's like, bringing back Ariana and making Dumbledore deal with all that trauma mm -hmm. again and having to do it in this whole spectacular way with the Hollywood way feels like it. It's like a soap opera. <laughs> so then I'm, I wrote down questions. Is this why Dumbledore wants to save Credence? Yeah. Does he suspect anything? Um, I don't think so. JK has said that these movies are about how Dumbledore became Dumbledore, which makes me think that this is why this is, this is the theory that's happening because they're going to focus in on Dumbledore. And what is more quintessential to Dumbledore's big Dumbledore that we know in the later movies than what happened mm -hmm. between him, Grindelwald, Aberforth, and Ariana? Yeah. So what could possibly have made Dumbledore more himself than having to ward himself off mm -hmm. from the reincarnation of the sister that he killed, which is now being used as a weapon against him by his former lover? I hate that I had to write that down. <laughs> it sounds like a literal soap opera plot. <laughs> what do you think of this theory? But honestly, oh, I kind of love it. It makes Not sense. Not because... Not because I would love to see it on screen, but because it's yeah. better than my current theory, which is yeah. that Grindelwald was just lying to Credence. Because <laughs> then, like, who the fuck's Credence? Where did he come from? That was my initial theory too, but then I'm like, nah. So I thought about it some more and I thought, this one fits the most. It makes actual sense. It's not just him using the brother line for no reason. Because I, I saw a lot of other people's theories and they're like, maybe he's yeah. a cousin, maybe he's a nephew, all this sort of stuff. But it's like, but why would he use the word brother? Because as we know, it would have been very impossible for the mm -hmm. Dumbledore's, uh, Dumbledore's parents, that is, to have yeah. another baby uh, because of the separation, because, you know, Dumbledore's father was in Azkaban. So unless he had an affair in Azkaban, somehow had a, another son that was cast off somewhere, and uh, which is unlikely. Or if, but we know that um, Kendra, is Kendra the name of Dumbledore's mother? Whatever her name was. Ke Dumbledore's mother uh, was killed off not long after Ariana was born, and there was no hints in the, in the original story saying that she was pregnant and had another child. Otherwise, why would that not be mentioned? But then again, McGonagall's in this movie, so fuck everything. Mm -hmm. So unless it's unless uh, it turns out Aurelius Dumbledore is a bastard half brother from uh, Dumbledore's father who had an affair in Azkaban, how the fuck would you do that? But whatever. Or maybe before Azkaban, because maybe yeah, he yeah. only went to Azkaban after Ariana was uh, turned into an obscurial. So he, yeah, he, he might have um, slept with someone during those intervening years. It's not impossible. No, because then Credence would be so much older. What am I even saying? He would be Dumbledore's age. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So my theory is that it's Ariana's obscurial inside Credence, and that's what, why the brother line exists and why the phoenix responds to him because of the Dumbledore prophecy, whatever it is. Yeah, mm. so also, I just want to yeah, clarify, important, it yeah. has been proved that an obscurial can be captured in some kind of bubble, because in the first movie, Newt had one in his briefcase. So the theory that Grindelwald could have captured a bit of Ariana's obscurial, which as we know, it's a bit hard to destroy obscurials, because when Credence yes. was destroyed the first time, a bit of him escaped, and then he was fine again. If he'd captured some of her obscurial and then given her a new host, it's possible for him to do that, because we've seen the magic done before mm -hmm. in earlier movies. It, it doesn't explain how that piece of obscurial that Grindelwald captured got from his possession into Credence. 
Yeah, I don't know how that happened, but like this is what I'm positing. We have we don't have information on that. Yeah, we don't know who Credence is yet. Like ignoring what Grindelwald said, Credence was the baby on the boat that Lita switched. So yeah. we know that a woman was on the boat with him, presumably his mother, but not necessarily. She drowned, mm-hmm. and the other baby drowned in his place. So Credence was coming from yeah. France to yeah. America. And that's all we know. So he could be literally anyone. So the bit of Obscurial ended up at a baby and Grindelwald didn't know the baby's gender, but he did know that it ended up at the orphanage. But how did he know that it ended up at the orphanage? Maybe he either knew that it drowned or ended up in America because the, the ship sank, as we know. So he was shipping it off to America, the ship sank, so he's either like, look, the baby drowned or it's in America, one or the other. So he's putting his hopes on that it's in America. But then by that point, it had become switched with Lita's brother. So he would have been tracking Lita's brother, I guess. No, he doesn't know it was switched. Why would he know? <laughs> he doesn't know it was switched. Only Lita knows that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So why would he be able to track Lita's brother all the way to this orphanage? If he knew which baby it went in and the baby was on the ship, he would have thought it drowned. No, I'm, that's what I said before. Like, he doesn't know that it's Lita's brother or that it ends up in the orphanage. He just knows the baby's either dead or it's in America. It's like Schrodinger's baby. <laughs> we don't know until we open the box. <laughs> it's either drowned or in America. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay, and he somehow finds it in America. Okay, that's fine. Okay. The duel where Ariana died, that happened yeah. Yeah. around Dumbledore's last year at Hogwarts when he was around 17, yeah. 17 or 18, and Credence now is around 17 or 18. So I don't think those timelines line up. But you can keep an Obscurial for a long time. So Grindelwald might have had the Obscurial and then only put it in a baby 10 years later or something. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it doesn't need to be immediately afterwards. <laughs> okay, look, at this point, we're speculating with information that we don't have. <laughs> Overall, I think, that's, I think that's a really good theory. Yeah. I think it's typical of what we might expect from these movies, like very convoluted, requiring a lot of backstory into families and blah, 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 and also kind of like betrays what we knew from the book. So that's good as well. <laughs> so yeah, that's why I, that's my hot take. And that's what I think is going to happen. I hate it. But if I'm right, once again, it will be confirmed that I am in fact a psychic. <laughs> <laughs> True. Well, I've been Jem, your props to the beast and animation and graphics in this movie, but everything else can rot host. <laughs> <laughs> I've been Rhea. You're surprisingly still okay with Niffler's host. Thanks for listening to Podcast 9 and 3 Quarters. This show is written and edited by Rhea and Jem. You can send us an email at 9 and 3 quarters podcast at gmail.com, find us on Tumblr at podcast9and3quarters.tumblr.com, or talk to us separately on Twitter. Rhea is at SmashMathRhea, and me, Jem, is at Jem underscore just Jem. Please feel free to send theories or ask us questions and bombard us with so many messages that we go mad and run away to a hut on a rock in the middle of the sea just to avoid them. Our logo art is by Winged Corgi. Find more of her art at wingedcorgi.tumblr.com. This week's intro music was Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald by James Newton Howard and our outro music was Hedwig's Theme by John Williams. You hear from us again in two weeks' time. 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.